The history. Tell me what you saw. The people. Hey, neighbor. The legends. I bring good news. The actions. If you build it, he will come. The vision and evolution of Southern California's desert cities. Boy, I got vision and the rest of the world wears bifocals. From mid-century. We're halfway there. To modern day. I'm building something. These are the stories of how the greater Palm Springs region has become America's playground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do this. iHub Radio presents Coachella Valley Chronicles with Randy Florence. Good afternoon, Coachella Valley. I am Randy Florence, and welcome to the Coachella Valley Chronicles. Ten years ago, my wife and I moved to the Coachella Valley, and one of the things I found early on is that I could get involved. I could learn about the history of the valley, and I could talk to some of the people that were uh, involved in building the valley. Today you're going to hear that I am not a professional interviewer. I'm not a professional radio person. I'm just a citizen of the Coachella Valley asking the questions that maybe you'd like to. Through different groups, I got a chance to meet and talk to some people that were instrumental in shaping the valley. I'm a history buff, so I got hooked on the stories. And I figured if I was interested, maybe you would be too. There's another reason I wanted to do this show. The Valley's taken some serious hits in the last 12 months, but the Valley's faced other times that were difficult or direction and vision was needed. We're also going to talk about those successes. I could fill an hour just listing all the honors and recognition from my first guest and what he, um, the awards that he has received it's fair to say that he has influenced this valley like few others. He is the president and founder of Oliphant Enterprises, the founder and former chairman of the Coachella Valley Economic Partnership, the founding and current chairman of the Lincoln Club of Coachella Valley. He founded the Greater Palm Springs Convention and Visitors Bureau, the Desert Sands School Building Corporation, and the California State University of Palm Desert Campus. He holds an honorary degree of Doctor of Humane Letters from California State University and Cal State San Bernardino. And I'm sorry we're now out of time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Seriously, I am so honored and excited to introduce my very first guest, Dick Oliphant. Dick, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Randy. Good to be with you. It's great to have you here. And first of all, I want to thank you so much for being the first guest on my show. I'm very honored to have you here today, Dick. I'm used to being a pioneer here in the Valley. <laughs> well, I'm, that's actually a great lead into what we're going to be talking about here, Dick. So thank you. You know, I first met you as a member uh, when I was a member of the Leadership Coachella Valley back in 2014. And I was so taken by the story you told of your early days in Iowa that I was hoping maybe you could just take a couple of minutes and tell us about those early days and what got you into construction and development. Um, sure, I, I started in, uh, I was born in a little farm community called Toddville, Iowa, just outside of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I grew up in Iowa City, uh, went through uh, grade school, high school in Iowa City, and then went to the University of Iowa. Um, got Hawkeye blood <laughs> and uh, I uh, after college uh, I got into the steel building business uh, I started uh, designing and selling and erecting steel buildings primarily for farmers and grain storage 
And uh, that was a, a wonderful business to get started in. But in uh, 1959, the uh, steel companies called a steel strike. And my particular company, Inland Steel, was a union, uh, steel union uh, office all the way from the mine to the finished product. So even product that was setting in warehouses was tied up. So all the buildings that I had ordered and had poured concrete slabs for for grain storage were tied up. And this was uh, actually the uh, January of 1959. Uh, I kept getting letters from Inland Steel Products that the strike was about to be settled all year long. And it never was settled. Instead, the president signed an 80-day or 90-day injunction in December of 1959. And I get a telephone call from Rock Island Railroad. I've got five carloads of steel. <laughs> setting at a yard and I went to look at the cars and I couldn't get there. There was four foot of snow everywhere. Oh man. And I couldn't get within a mile of the railroad yards. So I went, I rented a uh, small tractor, uh, bulldozer and I pushed snow all day and cleared an area next to the cars where I could lay the steel. The next day I had a crane, uh, a little small, uh, boom, uh, P&H crane delivered, and uh, I brought four guys with me, two guys to tie steel on the car, uh, two guys to untie the steel on the ground, and I, I drove the crane, and uh, we worked for uh, five straight days, and we got all that steel off, loaded on the ground, and I uh, called the railroad and told them they could come get their cars, otherwise I'd be paying demurrage, and uh, uh, went home and sat down with Jan. I was frozen to death. Uh, <laughs> I'm frozen listening to it, Dick. Tired of uh, working uh, uh, 14 hours, mostly in the dark, uh, trying to get this steel unloaded in time. And uh, there's got to be a better life. <laughs> and I had a very close friend who winters every year in Tucson, Arizona. Uh his name was uh, Leonard Kaplan. We called him Cappy. And uh, Cappy called me and he said, Dick, I'd like somebody to drive me to Tucson. Would you be willing to do that? I said, Cappy, you know, I, I'm busy. I've got four children to take care of and uh, my wife and I, and I've, I've got to keep busy. I, I was drawing plans for builders in order to fill the slack of not being able to sell and erect steel. And I had a lot of jobs on my drawing board that I had deadlines on I needed to get rid of. So uh, anyway, he said, well, uh, the day after New Year's, uh, I'm going. If you'd like to go, you call me. So between Christmas and New Year's, uh, my wife and I discussed it. She said, uh, here's your chance <clears throat> to uh, see if uh, you like the West. And um, so I called Cappy and said, okay, I'll drive you. He said, okay, I just bought a brand new Cadillac. <laughs> it's down at Nall Motors. Uh, you pick it up and, and come down and get me, and we'll drive to Tucson. And Cappy and I spent three wonderful days driving out of the snow into sunshine. And I, it was the first time I'd ever been out of Iowa in the wintertime, and I was impressed, to say the least. 
and uh, wound up in Tucson, Arizona. Started looking for a job and uh, was staying in a motel when I got a call from Kaplan and he's, Cappy said, uh, a close friend of mine says that he's got a fellow that's looking for an employee that uh, I think you would fill the bill and I'd like you to meet him. So I, uh, an arrangement was made where I met him at the Pioneer Hotel in downtown Tucson, Arizona for breakfast. Uh, his name was Fred Busby and he owned a company called Busby Carroll Construction it turns out, I didn't know at the time, but they were the second largest builders in the uh, southern Arizona area. And so I uh, hit it off with him, and he hit it off with me, and he said, you know, uh, I'd like my wife to meet you, and uh, we're going to a fundraiser tonight at the boys' club. Did you bring a suit? I said, yes, I did. He said, we'll pick you up at your motel, and uh, you can uh, meet my wife tonight, and We'll discuss it, your job tomorrow. So uh, that's exactly what happened. I had a wonderful evening with, with his wife. Uh, she talked my ear off. She couldn't believe that I had four children. And uh, when we uh, went back to the motel, uh, she was very friendly with me. And uh, I thought, hey, I got a chance this job, whatever <laughs> the job is. I had no idea. He picked me up the next morning for breakfast. I went to uh, the Pioneer Hotel with him again for breakfast. We talked about construction and business and uh, went back and drove up Broadway, or uh, yes, Broadway to his office, which is a freestanding uh, office building, fairly good sized. Uh, we walked inside, there was a, a receptionist and uh, she unlocked a door to a hallway so we could walk down to his office, where all the offices opened off of. And I was impressed. I mean, this obviously, this office had been done by an interior decorator. His office was beautiful. And uh, construction offices that I'd been in were gray steel desks and girly calendars on the wall. <laughs> and uh, that's not what this was. This, this was works of art. And we sat down and started talking of... Uh, about my background, what I'd been accomplishing, my education, and uh, he said, uh, okay, I'm going to offer you a job. And he said, gave me a, a salary price that uh, he wanted to start me at. And quite frankly, for Randy, it was double what I had even <laughs> hoped for. And I kind of cleared my throat like I was in shock. He said, oh, oh well, of course. I'll give you a brand new car to drive as well. So he thought the clearing of the throat was a negotiation ploy. I so I cleared my throat again. <laughs> oh, he says, well, yeah, coming here, you've never been here before and got four kids. You're going to need a house to live in, so I'll have a house waiting for oh, you. Oh, wow. Uh, so I quit clearing my throat. I thought that I'd ask for enough. <laughs> Now, something so, interesting happened right after that. He took you into another office, right? He did. He said, I, I want to introduce you to someone. And so we got up and walked uh, from his office into a large conference room. All this was very impressive to me, of course. And then we walked through a door into an office similar to his on the other side of the conference room. And he said, I'd like you to meet Mr. Canton. And um, the fellow got up and he's 
introduced himself. I'm John Catton. And I said, I'm Dick Oliphant. And uh, Fred said, uh, yeah, Dick is my newest employee. And John looked at me uh, like, you know, I'm the general manager of all your companies. Uh, I hire and fire everybody. What's special about this guy? And uh, he said, oh, well, what's Dick going to be doing for us? And, you know, I was waiting for the same answer. <laughs> and uh, Fred says, well, John, uh, Dick is my new general manager. You're fired. Wow. Uh, I don't know whose jaw dropped further, mine or John's. But uh, I started on top in Tucson. <laughs> I didn't have to work my way up. That's the most and, interesting first day job story I've ever heard, Dick. Uh, <laughs> It was a different day and a different time in those days. Uh, that that was in uh, January of 1960. Wow. So, Dick, we've got you uh, into Arizona. Um, we're going to start moving ahead here in the in the next segment, and we're going to start moving you towards California here and talking a little bit more about the valley. You're here with Randy Florence on the Coachella Valley Chronicles. We'll be back in a moment and continue with Dick Oliphant. Let's just call it what it is. Coachella Valley Chronicles continues on iHub Radio. You are the story. Here's Randy Florence. Welcome back to the Coachella Valley Chronicles. I am Randy Florence, and I'm here with my very special guest, Dick Oliphant. Dick, thanks for being with us again today. Just before we leave uh, Arizona, um, Jan had told me a quick story about how you decided when you were at the right place and it involved a snow shovel. <laughs> well, when we left Iowa, uh, I told Jan that uh, what we need to do is we're going to take our snow shovel and we're going to drive south till somebody turns around and says, what is that thing? <laughs> and we knew, we knew then we'd arrived. <laughs> if they didn't know what a snow shovel was, you were there. That's exactly right. <laughs> I've got it. Well, listen, I know there were some very interesting things that happened in uh, Arizona. And at another uh, opportunity, I'm going to want to talk to you about that. But I'd like to move us into California here um, pretty quickly. So uh, wrap up for me real quickly, Dick, if you would, Arizona. I know you did some important work for uh, Mr. Busby and, and you built a large resort there. Uh, what eventually began to move you towards California? Uh, well, the Busby Carroll Company, as I told you, was the second largest builder in southern Arizona. We were building about we were building about 26 or 2,700 houses a year, and um, the uh, uh, he had about 320 acres that he wanted to develop, and uh, we've been trying to figure out what to do with it. Uh, he was also the president of the 
uh, National Association of Home Builders for the state of Arizona and went to the National Convention, met with uh, the uh, head of the National Association of Home Builders nationwide, who was the president and CEO of Palomar Mortgage in San Diego, a fellow by the name of Nels Severin. And uh, he and Nels flew back to San Diego together from Washington, D.C., and I get a telephone call on uh, the Sunday night before Labor Day, and he said, uh, I need you to pick me up at the airport. So I did, and I drove him. I was going to drive him home, and he said, no, we're going to the office. We have work to do. <laughs> I said, Fred, it's 10 o'clock at night. Uh, what are we going to be doing on Sunday night at 10 o'clock? He said, we've got a lot of work to do. So we go to the office, and he brings out a, bro a big briefcase full of brochures, and we start going through these, and he said, we're going to build that 320 acres, we're going to build a golf course, and we're going to build all the houses around a golf course, and we're going to build a big park, and we're going to uh, use all that as marketing tools to sell these houses. And in those days, 1961, that had never been done before. And uh, so it was a big risk, and Palomar Mortgage agreed to finance the entire thing. So... I said, okay, well, why did we have to talk about this tonight? He said, because uh, you're going to deliver this to me on Thanksgiving. And this was Labor Day. <laughs> I said, last next year? And he said, no, <laughs> Thanksgiving this year, the end of November. And this was, of course, the 1st of September. So that night, I called the engineers and architects, and at 3 o'clock in the morning on Labor Day, we met in my office, mm. and we started the ball rolling. And by Tuesday, uh, when the government offices opened, I had plans to uh, take into them for review. And uh, we started mobilizing. I brought in Billy Bell from Pasadena to design the golf course. Uh, I had uh, the architects and engineers uh, running. I brought, we had five construction companies. One of them was a dirt moving company, I brought it in, and we started uh, about, uh, I would say it was about Thursday that we started grading. And uh, we mobilized and we worked 24 hours a day. We drilled wells, we put in, we graded, we put in streets, we uh, designed and uh, did the golf course, uh, planted the grass, and played our first round of golf on Thanksgiving Day. Wow. And uh, delivered uh, the models, and I had 25 homes in uh, inventory already. And um, that was in the days when uh, I took the plans in, and we had them plan checked at the counter. Take me an hour to get uh, the plans all checked, where today it'd take <laughs> five months. Yes. So it was an entirely different day. And uh, I lived on the job from uh, that first week till after Thanksgiving. Literally, I had a trailer on site and was there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And this is the other thing you won't believe is that Palomar gave me the checkbook. And I wrote all, I proved all the bills and wrote all the checks right on the site. 
So that motivated a lot of these guys to move. I, I would imagine so, with you holding the checkbook. Yep. All right, Dick, that, thank you. That's something that never happen again. No, not, not in today's construction world. All right, we're going to move off uh, in our next segment. We'll come back with Dick, and we will be in California, and we're going to be talking about Dick's role in helping the building of the Coachella Valley. Again, you are here with Randy Florence and the Coachella Valley Chronicles. From the Gene Autry Trail to the Empire Polo Grounds. Have you seen it? Like desert sands through an hourglass. With great power comes great responsibility. These are the Coachella Valley Chronicles with Randy Florence on iHub Radio. Cool. Here's Randy. Welcome back to the Coachella Valley Chronicles. I am Randy Florence and we're here talking to my guest Dick Oliphant. Dick, thanks for being here again. We're going to move to uh, California. You came to the Coachella Valley in 1962, is that correct? Yes. What brought you here, Dick? Well, the project I just described, I told you, was being financed by Palomar Mortgage. Uh, that project became an unqualified success. It sold out in two weekends, 550 units. Wow. And uh, Nell Severin, who was the president CEO, um, had told uh, Fred Busby it was Mission Impossible, and yet I performed it. So he came to me and he said, I need you in my company. I need somebody to head my construction and development. We're going to start building retirement communities all across the country. I want you to head it. So he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. I mean, leaving Busby was like leaving family. So uh, it was a hard decision, but uh, I thought this was best for my family. And um, besides, I wanted to go to California. And uh, so they brought me over here to uh, the Palm Springs area. And they had just started a project on Washington Street called Palm City. Uh, they were working on Interstate 10. I mean, it was out in the wilderness in those days. Mm-hmm. And right across the street, they were just breaking ground on a project called Bermuda Dunes, uh, Ernie Dunleavy. And uh, so they made me the project manager, vice president of, of construction and development for Palomar. And um, so I started working on that project, which uh, everybody knows today as Palm Desert Country Club. And um, so I discovered that uh, working in the sand is different than working in the <laughs> dirt of Iowa or the clay of Arizona. This is soft sugar, this sand. And uh, when you pour the slab to get ready to frame it the next day, you spend half the day cleaning the slab off so you can do uh, the framing. And uh, there was so much waste time, so much cost 
that uh, was just uh, spent in handling the sand. And so uh, after I'd been here about two weeks, I walked, I took a four-wheel drive and drove it out into the sand dunes, which is now the corner of Oasis and uh, Hovely, and uh, looked at the sand, and it was blowing about 90% of it within the first five feet of the ground. And um, that's exactly the way snow moves. Hmm. So I came back to my office. I got on the phone, and I called one of my classmates who had taken over uh, their family uh, lumber yard back in Iowa City, Iowa, uh, Nagel Lumber. And I said, George, uh, I need six semi-loads of snow fence. He says, Dick, I thought you moved to Palm Springs. <laughs> I said, I did, uh, but uh, we've got sand out here, and it works just like snow. I'm going to try the snow fence. And so we had those six semi-loads of snow fence brought out. We put it on the north and west sides of our property, and we never had to clear a slab another day after that. We just built. That is amazing. And uh, that was the first introduction of snow fence to the desert. So uh, I built uh, Palm Desert Resort Country Club, and uh, I was uh, my. I moved to Indian Wells in 1972. Across the street, uh, my attorney built his house. Dave Irwin, one of my closest friends, but he was also the city attorney for the city of Indian, Indian Wells. And one day he came over, knocked on my door, and he says, "Dick." Uh, they need a. Uh, they have an opening on the Indian Wells Planning Commission, and I was wondering if you'd be willing to fill that. And I said, "Well, I don't know. How much time does that take?" He says, "Well, they meet the last Thursday of every month for about two hours, so I think I could handle that." So I got appointed to the Planning Commission of Indian Wells in 1974, and. Um, I served for two years on the planning commission, and my neighbor was one of the founders of the city of Indian Wells, Bert Cavanaugh. And Bert came over to see me, and he says, "Dick, I mid-year or mid-term in my uh, service as a city councilman, and I'd like to resign, and I'd like to appoint you to uh, finish out my last two years." And so I don't know, Bert, how much time does that take? And he says, well, we meet the first and third uh, Thursdays of every month, a couple of hours. So I think I could handle that. So I was interviewed by all the members of the council, and they decided to appoint me. So I showed up uh, in November, uh, which was midterm, to get appointed to Bert Kavanaugh's position when uh, one of the other city council members, who was a founder as well, had fallen off his roof over the weekend and had uh, broken his hip, had some other damage, but they discovered he also had cancer. Mm. And so his wife came to that same city council meeting to submit his resignation. And so um, they appointed me to his position instead of Bert Kavanaugh's, which meant this was to be his first meeting after just being reelected. So I, I served every single meeting of that that term for four years. And that's how I got into politics. That's fascinating. I um, 
Dick, I had an opportunity to talk to a good friend of yours, Jody Watkins of Watkins Landmark Construction. And my question to Jody was, you know, how much different would this valley look if Dick Oliphant wasn't here? And the first answer he said without hesitation is, well, there probably would not be an Indian Wells. <laughs> I thought that was a fascinating answer. So you joined the city council, um, and that's what got you into politics. Talk to me a little bit about those early days. I know that Indian Wells was struggling at that time. That was in 1976, and I served on the council in 1978. Uh, Proposition 13 was introduced and uh, passed, and uh, fortunately, our city did not live on uh, uh, property tax. We got a nickel property tax was all. And uh, when Prop 13 came in and they gave us our allotment, it wasn't enough to pay our city manager. And uh, so the way we ran this city and had from the day that it started was uh, kind of like a country club. You pay an initiation fee, and then uh, after that, it's uh, just a maintenance fee. And so what we did was we charged a city hall a development fee and then we charged for different services that we provided. And uh, the uh, services that we provided uh, and, and that uh, development fee were enough to support the city. And uh, then along came, uh, in 1980, Proposition 4. Uh, that was a GAN initiative. And the GAN initiative was written like it had Indian Wells in mind. <laughs> it said if you have been overcharging for the services that you provide, then you must take that uh, excess and you must donate it to the state of California or spend it on your citizens within a 10-year period. Well, we'd been building a kitty with the idea that the city would be landlocked and not that big. And that by the time we were built out, we'd have that kitty big enough to support us. The GAN initiative essentially said, you don't get to keep that money at all. Hmm. So we had to figure out how do we save the city because we have no property tax. And now uh, we can't overcharge for our services. We have practically no sales tax. And we have no revenue streams. So uh, I was elected the mayor in 1984, and uh, the city was on the verge of uh, bankruptcy mm. when they elected me. And it's hard to believe Indian Wells going bankrupt. But that's we, shocking to hear, that, yes. As a city, uh, we were. And uh, so I've, being a developer, I thought, well... We'll figure our way out of this. So what I did was I came up with a redevelopment agency that covered a lot of raw land. Uh, I design, had a, two golf courses designed on that raw land. And then I went out and I solicited hotels to build on our golf course using the golf course as a sales tool. And as you can see, I was very lucky. I got Stouffer to build their flagship resort hotel in Indian Wells. Uh, got Charlie Passerell and his partners to build 
the grand champions in Indian Wells. Uh, it was a motivation to take the old Desi Arnaz Hotel and rebuild it into the uh, what is now the Indian Wells Hotel, upgraded it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the old Erewhon Hotel, which was a, a Thailand-looking building, uh, at the is now the Miramonte, and uh, another uh, very attractive hotel, another upgrade. So it brought us uh, two brand-new hotels and upgraded to two existing hotels. And uh, I, I got uh, the... Uh, Golf courses approved uh, through the and the redevelopment agency approved through the state of California. Uh, did all the negotiation with the taxing authorities to give us the money. We had a 55% split. All of the taxing authorities got 45%. The city kept 55%. And that's on your tax increment. That's the growth from the day that you formed the agency on. And, of course, uh, take raw land as the base and then build a $125 million Esmeralda on top of it. So for Esmeralda, uh, you've got a lot of tax increment. That's so we, we built an enormous uh, redevelopment agency, which bought and paid for the golf courses. And uh, the golf courses were profitable from the start, very start. Uh, the hotels uh threw off an enormous amount of uh, bed tax, which, by the way, is a, is the only tax that a city can charge that is not shared with any other taxing authority. And so, uh, and we built sales tax. So we took our city from when I became elected mayor in 1984 to 1992 when I left the mayor's job eight years later. Uh, we went from almost bankrupt. We had we were down to $350,000 in the bank, period. Hmm. Uh, and then uh, in 1992, we were the second wealthiest city in the state of California. Wow. Dick, we're going to uh, take a break here. In the next segment, I want to talk a little bit more about the building of the in- infrastructure of the Valley. You are here with Randy Florence in the Coachella Valley Chronicles. And the where. This is Coachella Valley Chronicles with Randy Florence. The 411 on the events, the personalities, and the history that have built an oasis in the desert. Here's Randy. Welcome back, Coachella Valley. Welcome back to my guest, Dick Oliphant. Dick, uh, I know we got through some um, Indian Wells conversation there, but I wanted to take you back just a little bit, if I could, and go back to 1962 when you came to the desert because there were a lot of things that you had to put into place in order to accomplish a lot of the stuff you accomplished later in the desert. Um, tell me a little bit about when you first came to the desert. You moved here with uh, Jan and your family. Uh, what were your living arrangements when you first got to Palm Springs? 
That was a real problem. Uh, I came over in June and I, I moved uh, Jan and our four children here in August. And uh, first of all, there's nobody around in the desert in those days <laughs> in August. Uh, all the stores were closed with tinfoil in the windows, no hotels or restaurants were open. There was a market basket grocery store in Palm Desert that was open and one in Palm Springs. And there were more activities in Indio because Indio was a year around town being agriculture, but uh, the rest of the desert shut down. And I couldn't find a place. Uh, I had realtors wor working for me to find a place that would house um, the seven of us, or six of us rather, well, it was seven now because uh, in Tucson, we also had a baby. Hmm. <laughs> so now we had five. <laughs> and so we uh, we needed a house that would house seven of us. And these were mostly vacation homes or senior housing. I mean, they, they didn't have a lot of bedrooms. I finally wound up in Palm Springs on Via Oliveira in a nice little house. It was two bedrooms, but it had a maid's room off the kitchen. And it had a garage with a small apartment in the back. So I rented that, and uh, it was fully furnished. So we put our furniture in storage. And uh, we moved in and enrolled the kids in school and, and started living there. Uh, it did not have air conditioning. The house had a desert cooler, was all, but it had a very nice swimming pool in the backyard. So we... Uh, uh, lived there for a year and it just it didn't work out very well for us and so uh, we had uh, the uh, two girls in one room and the three boys in another room and Jan and I slept in the kitchen <laughs> that got a little old and so I rented a house in Indio right next to John F. Kennedy School which was just opening brand new and by the way, while we'd been in Palm Springs, uh, the parents had never been organized there. Jan organized the parents at the Catherine Finchie School where our kids went and formed the first PTA in Palm Springs. Yes. And we used to hold PTA meetings at our house. And then uh, when we moved to uh, Indio, she did the same thing at John F. Kennedy School and formed the first PTA there. And so we lived there in uh, Indio for two years, and that was really a very nice place to live. And then we uh, moved to Palm Desert Country Club uh, in 1964. Two other vice presidents of Palomar Mortgage and myself resigned from Palomar, and we bought the project. And so we now owned it, so we were finishing the development of it, and that's why the name changed because it was no longer under us, a retirement community. So we changed the name from Palm City to Palm Desert Country Club. And um, so we uh, went through that transition and uh, I finished building out the project. And uh, so uh, while we were building it out, I took one of the houses, expanded it, and uh, I moved my family over there and we lived in Palm Desert Country Club for seven years while I built this house in Indian Wells. And then we moved here in 1972 and been here ever since. Mm. But uh, uh, Palm Desert Country Club, we owned the water company. We owned the sewage company. 
we owned the hotel, we owned the shopping center. It was like a city that we owned the city. And it was uh, a very, very interesting job. It's like being not a project manager, but a city manager. Uh, and it was interesting that people uh, who would retire here, uh, you didn't know if they were a banker or a janitor. Because when they moved in, usually the janitor finally bought the Cadillac he'd always wanted. And the banker was very happy with just a Chevrolet. Mm -hmm. So you never knew going down the street who was living in what houses from a class standpoint. Everybody came the same class. That's right. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. And the people got along so well. They got so friendly with each other, formed clubs. Uh, we built a big re recreation center for them. They had... Uh, all kinds of meetings going on there, and it was there was never a problem. It was just wonderful. Well, and, Dick, uh, Dick, we've got about a minute left here in in the show, and and uh, I I can spend another hour. So my first question is, would you be willing to uh, come back at another time? Because I've got about four hundred other topics here I want to talk to you about. <laughs> but before we finish no up, problem. one of the things that I really wanted to talk about is, uh, you know, your marriage was was not really a behind every good man kind of story. You and Jan have worked together as a partnership in the whole time that you've been here. You've also been involved in a ton of things from a philanthropical standpoint here in the Valley, and we're going to talk about those the next time I talk. But I'd like to finish off the show. The first time you and I talk, I asked you whether or not the desert had met your expectations. And you said that it exceeded your wildest expectations. What do you think is the most important thing going forward for this valley to make sure it stays viable in the years to come? Well, this this valley grew on uh, a two-legged stool. It started as agriculture and hospitality. And uh, we've been working very hard, and you've been a very... Uh, good part of this recently, and that's with CVAP building that third leg, that uh, uh, economic uh, leg that we need that gives us a year-round business, stabilizes the valley. And we need to focus on getting that uh, economic growth. That's been my primary emphasis for quite some time in bringing the Cal State campus here. That was a major economic move. That's an economic engine. That's important for any kind of major business that wants to move to the desert to have the educational facilities. Uh, workforce, you've got to have a workforce and that's what the campus provides. Um, we've just got to get that third leg of the stool built. Well, Dick, thank you very much. As I said, I'm sitting here with about 50 note cards in front of me that I didn't even have a chance to look at through this. It's been a fascinating conversation, and I really look forward to having you on again so we can get into a little bit more detail about the building of this valley. Dick, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Please pass on my thanks to Jan. And to the Coachella Valley, I hope you got a little bit of a taste as to what we're going to put together for you here on a weekly basis. We want you to know how this valley got built and who the people were that did it. Thank you very much. Have a fantastic time. And this has been the Coachella Valley Chronicles. Thank you.